everybody. Welcome in to another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher, joined as always by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall. And Bronco, the, the parade of high-profile guests continues here on the, on the podcast. Thrilled to welcome in the general manager of the Los Angeles Rams, Les Neat. Les, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I'm jacked to be here. Uh, we're excited to have you on, and you and Bronco have a very special connection for, for the listeners that may, maybe not don't know it. Uh, could you maybe fill us in a little bit? The special connection would be this. I happen to probably have a teenage son who wanted and, and to play college football, loved football, uh, probably very similar to a wild horse. And at the end of the day, I, uh, I kind of knew his capabilities and all that, but as a GM and father, let's call it a GM in the NFL, but more importantly, a father, I was like, I really don't care. Uh, and my son's name was Logan. If he plays a down of football, but fortunately sitting in the seat that I sit in, you got to view a lot of college football programs from 30,000 feet. And probably even before I ever met Bronco or chatted with Bronco, even when he was at BYU really respected right, how he engineered his football program and really how that program then engineered, uh, let's call it teenage, young teenage boys to men, I call it. So that would be the connection if there was one person that I would say, uh, I don't want to put it down to one, but I know this, Bronco was the one that I chose and he was definitely in the top five of like, if you're going to send your son, uh, not necessarily to help you win games, Bronco, Really, it was selfish on my part. Send my son to be developed by Bronco and his staff and his program. It, it, it was an, an absolute privilege. And so I got to work with Logan and, and what a, an amazing young man. And through through Logan, I actually got to know um, Les and Les's wife better. And just had a great book recommendation from Les's wife, by the way, which was awesome. Um, but then I went to the Senior Bowl uh, one time and, and Les and I crossed paths and there was just uh, an immediate connection on learning and organizational design and purpose. And, and the conversation went, yeah, it surrounded football, but it really wasn't about football. It was about things kind of of more of substance. And so well, really I remember chatting with you Bronco on the field and I wish I remember who it was, but I know someone at the senior bowl on the field that day might've been someone on your staff at Virginia might have been just someone that knew both of us, but at the end of the day said, hey, you ought to go introduce yourself to Bronco. Maybe that gentleman, whomever introduced us. But the connection was, I think it started with uh, probably Jim Collins' Good to Great book. And it was like, yeah. oh, you got to meet Bronco Mendenhall. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so how I, but I wish I knew who that yeah, I don't, I don't... was, but someone at the senior board, they said, you need to go introduce yourself to Bronco ASAP because you two, you know, y'all think very similarly. You know, I, I remember, and I don't, I, I, so I don't remember who it was, but I remember the the immediate impression of authenticity and learning and inquiry and curiosity coming from a general manager of an NFL team, which, which captivated me, right? There's plenty of ego in our businesses and there's plenty of people that have answers or proclaim they have answers. And I'm, I'm always captivated by those that are curious and inquisitive and and humble but also right usually re that usually reflects intelligence and, and this cutting edge desire to keep so i recognized that right off and i was like oh man this this guy i remember calling holly after and said yeah i just found a, a really uh, a, a new friend and a great connection and and that's what it's been and so i was able to go visit 
uh, less and watch the the Rams practice at least one day last uh, fall, if I remember right. Um, I was visiting yes. a few other places, and and uh, I have a former player um, that was with the Rams at that time, Bryce Perkins, and so I had a chance to see him as well, which is always just so much fun. And and so it was fun just to see the the Rams organization a little bit more from inside out and to, to watch the operation. And I think a lot of um, Sean McVay, the coach of the Rams. And so it was really fun to watch him um, lead a practice. And so anyway, as it comes to this time of year and so many, I don't know, the, the draft, right. And here was the senior bowl and the combines coming up and, and general managers all over, uh, all over the, the country are, are at their work, but I thought it'd be great just, and, and I asked Les this off um, offline, but man, I think it'd be great for our listeners just to get um, an idea of what a general manager does. And it might be different amongst organizations, but man, if you could give just a, an overview of, man, what, how does the organization run and what are you responsible for? Just for the audience, I, I think Bronco hit the nail on the head at this point in time, uh, the majority of uh a general manager's day is going to be working with the head coach, his staff, probably the, you know, the scouting staff. And we're really preparing uh, probably a big picture vision of what's our vision for the roster uh, in 2023. And then how do, how do we utilize the draft and let's call it trades free agency uh, to build that roster. So, that's going to be predominantly from from the time we walk in this building until uh, the time we leave. It's going to be some element of discussing big picture vision of the roster and then how do we bring that to life. The general manager and, and, and head coach uh, predominantly in, in NFL, we're not we're not responsible for the business side. We're not selling tickets or things like that. Yes, yeah, sponsorships is going to use us at times, uh, just as I'm sure in, in college football. Right. You're going to have to do some things to meet with donors or sponsors or things like that. But at the end of the day, we do try to say, okay, how do we carve out our days where the main thing is the main thing. And that's, that's what is, what is our vision for the Rams in the short and long term, 2023 Bronco, your coach, you've been but a lot of times hey, with coaches, they're more microscopic than telescopic. So yeah. it's 2023. And then, Hey, we'll we'll figure out twenty four when it gets there. But you're we're we're basically at that point going okay. How do we? What's our vision? Uh, and this time of year, we're predominantly uh, trying to bring that vision to life. Into uh, Sean and his staff are obviously working on schemes, staying ahead of the curve in terms of tactics and myself is bridging and and let's call it helping us collaborate our scouting staff Sean his coaching staff to to build and engineer our roster whether it's through the draft we're spending a lot of time right now preparing for the draft and obviously there's other mechanisms in in free agency uh trades and things like that I mean, we're, we're speaking right before the NFL Combine, and uh, that's obviously a lot of your your attention and come in terms of that incoming crop of uh, uh, potential draftees. And how how busy is this time, especially before kind of that pro day circuit starts, and, and you're flying all over the country? And uh, ultimately, when you go to the, an event like the Combine, what, what are you kind of searching for when you're looking for for guys and and having a lot of those meetings with uh, players that um, you know we we don't see on, on the outside, but I know is is very impactful to the process in terms of evaluation for you. Really because it is a 
because we're going to probably really, really prepare for at this time of year, probably 300 plus players. And then, and probably somehow whittle that down based on intangible, based on fit of scheme. Uh, so probably somewhere between hundred and 150 that are on the draft board. And then of that hundred and 150, there's really at that point, probably 25 to 30 to 40 that are like who we really want. And, it, and, it, and also the geography of the draft, right? It's not all the best players. Cause you know, you're not going to be able to get those. So I think it's case by case efficiency on, uh, how do we use each step of the pro? How do we use the all-star game? How do we use the combine, the pro day circuit? Hey, bringing kids in, going to see them. So we're not going to, we're not going to cookie cut it and use every one of those platforms uh, in the same way. It's really trying to go, okay, if we do go there, if we spend time there with a player, what do we really need to uh, come away from? So some of that might be, uh, in a very simple sense, seeing a running back who uh, primarily ran the ball in college, but how does he run the routes we like our running backs to run and how does he catch, right? Because you might not see that. And it also might be, okay, let's let's see what the, the player's football acumen is. Okay, how, how does that player – keep on the running back theme. How, how does that player process the information able to, let's call it, pick up blitzes and things like that. Mm-hmm. So when you consider, um, and, and you're building your roster again, and, and I know the draft is, is probably preeminent right now on your mind. Does that follow in sequence of, of free agency and trades and then the draft, do those things all kind of happen sequentially or at the same time intermixed? Like how, what does that sequencing look like traditionally? Traditionally, uh, and a lot of people would probably complain about this, traditionally the draft comes after free agency. Uh, so so free agency has evolved a little bit because free agency starts in March uh, and free agency still can be going on uh, during the draft in terms of there is this element when the bell rings, uh, if you're watching – ESPN, NFL Network, what have you. You're, there's going to be this this frenzy for about a week of players whose contract expired, and maybe they change teams or resign with their current teams. And usually, those are the bigger investments financially. Then there's going to be a settling phase where players may not get what they wanted. Maybe there's players that are going to, you know, they're in their third and fourth contract, uh, so they're not. Uh, let's call it getting long-term hefty and, you know, contracts are more going to be one year, two year type deals. And, and they're going to specifically wait and see, you know, which teams they may want to go to based on the chance of winning things like that. So it, it's all go, it's all going to kind of mesh together there at the end, but traditionally free agency comes uh, before the draft and probably the bigger, trades come before the draft there is a trade deadline during the season but that's a little i mean we saw christian mccaffrey leave uh the panthers to go to the niners and that that you we're seeing that in the nfl a little more uh, Mm. than usual but that's the sequence yeah so in relation to the sequence as well when you're considering uh, someone free agency wise or, or maybe even a trade 
And I know you're looking hard at your organization and your culture, uh, and I'm sure there's all kinds of extensive work on the on the fit. How much of it is, you know, besides the ability component and their their capability to do the job on the field, how much do you get into the cultural part on just um, will they fit within your organization? I, I guess maybe how much weight is placed on that in your organization or maybe others? You know, I think you start, I think like probably like a lot of sports, you, you probably start with the physical. And yeah. at the end of the day, then every, every, every uh, let's call it pool or pot of players that, that are possibility to be Rams, we're going to discuss, right, right what, what football skills they have and how and why those skills help us. Now, after there's that, that's the base rate. Okay. And, and, and the, the other part now becomes very important in, again, the intangibles of, of that player. So it, it gets into two, right? If you're, if you're a more veteran player, right, you're, we pro, it's probably going to be different than a young kid in the draft where, okay, there's going to be an element of development, either physically or even from a maturity standpoint. So you're going to weigh both of those, but intangibles, right? And I always say this it, to keep it simple. Mom, dad, God gave us some version of physical talent. Usually there's some type of athletic traits to play football. Then you, uh, in the algorithm or the calculus formula, you add together maybe that player's ability to write process information and, and, and adjust quickly. So it doesn't mean that player has to be right an all A student uh, or what have you, but wow, he was he was blessed and wired genetically or what have you to be able to write absorb some information, process it quickly. Then you add together right those the natural uh, intangibles, the conscientiousness, right, and all of that's going to equal right a useful skill. So we've yeah. all seen the person who's really really blessed, right, but didn't necessarily work. Uh, to write, uh, bring that talent to fruition and maybe was less skilled on the football field. So that's very important. And, and Bronco, going to culture, we do think we have a, a living culture that's going to change probably a little bit daily, but right. shouldn't change a lot. And it's going to definitely change yearly based on who you bring in. So a lot of times there may be someone, let's say that, uh, is a let's call it a rectangle instead of a square in our culture. We will weigh. Hey, is our is our culture strong enough to absorb that person's uh, personality fit, and does it necessarily negatively affect ours? But if we do determine that it has a good chance to, we would then probably pass on that player, even though right he probably has the the football skill to help us. I understand a lot of times in, in the organizations that I've run, I always looked at resources. And if we did take maybe a rectangle based on and the, the potential that it could be something that we knew would blossom into just something of beauty, right? We, we sensed that and we believed in it. Um, what strain on the organization in terms of resources and support? Um, and could we provide that, right? And well, here's, I, I would have here's, you, we, here's a good, I'll tell this story. We, we've gone through a lot of coaching change this year. So one of the things, probably 90% of Sean's time over the last, uh, after getting away a little bit is, is right. Retooling his staff. Mm 
So probably in the last three days, we had we had what we call our end of the season meetings. And it's okay. interesting in those end of the season, season meetings, I always say the Monday through Saturday. So predominantly we play on Sundays, right? I said, you, you, we weigh Monday through Saturday a lot in the end of the season meetings, right? Of like who that person is, right? Yeah. How, you know, are they, you know, how much energy do we have to spend helping yes. this player reach his potential or none at all, right? There's some players yeah. that, right, wow, if, if they all could be that player. Now juxtapose it to the draft where, and, and probably just based on, based on, uh, I would call it the mechanism of, of how you do that. But we know a lot about what our scouts are saying that maybe your staff at Virginia is saying yep. about the player. Yep. And we, we have someone, a gentleman that will go to their high schools and we know what high school teachers and coaches are, are saying. We, we have psychological profiles, but it's interesting. We have that data, but because we haven't lived with that player, right. For 365 days a year, we often weigh, probably to a fault what's going on on Saturdays, you know, on, in terms of how he's playing on the, on the college football field. So it's interesting. I was just telling one of our coaches that when we do an end of the season meeting, it's like going to marriage counseling, right? Yeah. Because you've now lived with someone and worked with them a lot of hours over the course of a year where when we're preparing for the draft, it's, it's okay. You're, you're maybe on the dating circuit trying to figure out, right. Right. Who your, your partner for life might be, but you're, and a lot of times in that, right. You're, you're weighing some things. Uh, I would say that you're weighing probably what might occur Monday through in that case, Sunday over 365, the days a year, a little bit less than maybe some other quality. So, uh, so that's a long-winded answer. No, it, it's good. There, there's a, We had a, a principal at Virginia to try to summarize all that. And what I was looking for was less drama, more work, which yeah. meant just quite frankly, um, this this physiological, but also psycho, psycho, psychological makeup um, to stay on task, to be able to retain information, to make good decisions, to be yeah. team first, to be unselfish. And a lot of times, and I think what we know, especially in the dating world, if we were to go to raising young people, <laughs> right? Uh, tryouts are helpful. And and so like with our kids, the idea of just going to a movie, that doesn't do much for you because you're not talking and you're just sitting side by side and everything yeah. is right. It's climate controlled. And what are you really going to find out about somebody? And so uh, Holly, my wife has this cool idea for our boys. And that's right before, if they choose to get engaged, right, then there's a, a, a 10 day uh, pack trip in the back country of Montana in the Bob Marshall wilderness. And the girls carry, all of us carry our own packs, right? We'll see them cold, tired, hungry, gathering firewood, catching fish, helping around the campfire or not, right? But in about a 10 day window, we think we would have given them about the greatest gift we could have parents as exposing themselves to they're in situations that are all encompassing. And so when I when I think about the draft, and by the way, my team always thought my boys would never get married through that like tryout period. <laughs> they're like, coach, they're not they're not going to do that. And I said, yeah, the right ones will. Um, 
But in, in, in thinking about the draft, I, I hear, or the, excuse me, the comp, especially a lot of times the players will come back and they'll tell me, man, that was, that was grueling, meaning they're up early and they never quite know, like they're in lines waiting for physicals and then there'll be interviews and then there's the, the on the field component. But I think it's designed that way. And so I'm, I'm wondering from your standpoint, so you have the season evaluation, certainly. Then there's kind of the, the all-star game evaluation-ish yeah. period, bowl games and, and then senior bowl, et cetera. Then the combine, tell me uh, if you can articulate, at least for you, how all that feeds in. And is there a, uh, a prioritized weight to that? Ultimately, it's a collective picture. But how do you kind of, I don't know, view each of those entities and in terms of your selection or how you assess? Yeah, that, I wish we had a backpacking trip instead <laughs> probably combine it. Because going back, and in, in, I'll, I'll get to the question, I think a lot of times – we have we have someone on staff who's a, who is called development. Uh, you know, he's probably a director of player engagement, and and uh, and we actually have uh, you know a club team psychiatrist, psychology, and you have a team of people that work and help players mature. And a lot of times in the draft, two things occur. Uh, Jock McClendon is that individual, and, and and if if the if the staff coaches scouts say, you know what. Jock's going to really have to spend a lot of time with the guy, but it's like, yeah. Hey, we really like this guy, but Jock's and I'm like, you know what? We probably, we probably should pass. Cause yeah. I don't know if y'all know Jock's schedule, but he didn't have enough time in the day to do this. And it's also interesting, right? You'll hear a lot of times scouts coaches say in April, when you're preparing for the draft, you know what? I'll let the, I'll let the player move in with me. And I'm like, well, I've never seen anyone truly open the door and, and, and move in, but you're, you're, so each step of the way, and I, and I mentioned to Brian when, when uh, uh, we had technical difficulty with you, whether it's all-star, whether it's combine, whether it's pro days, whether it's bringing players to uh, Thousand Oaks in Southern California, whether it's us going to do private workouts, we, we, efficiency is very important. And we try to, each player has probably an open file and what are the one, the two to three things that we really need to find out to, you know, either give a thumbs up or thumbs down on that player. So it's, uh, it's interesting how you weighed it. And speaking of the combine, very grueling, I can give you this example. And we've, we've as an organization, not saying we're right or wrong, ha have determined we're, we're not going to go to the combine and interview players for 15 minutes, uh, back to back to back, back to back to back for four straight days. And, and here's one reason. If myself and Sean, our head coach, McVeigh, have to sit uh, at a train station, probably a hotel conference room in Indianapolis from 6 to 11 p.m., and every 15 minutes a player comes in, I just based on human psychology, the players from 10 to 11, Wow, they really they probably really got to have an energetic personality just to yep. wake us up. Now, the interesting thing, on the other hand, as you've mentioned to your players when they come back, that player has been up probably since five or six a.m., sometimes five if they have what they call their drug test. And all of a sudden he's done. 20 interviews in one night and he comes to us at two at 10 45 p.m and we're all exhausted yep. again 
the substance of his conversation may be really quality, but maybe we're just exhausted and there's just this negative first impression. So we've definitely seen as an organization that, holy cow, we we maybe ding these three players for those 15 minutes and probably weighed those 15 minutes a lot more than we should have. And those players are still playing and playing well in yeah. the uh, NFL. And we've also seen it where, wow, in those 15 minutes, you were like, probably not a Rams culture fit. Yeah. But then we still ended up picking that player. And, oh, by the way, guess what? Wasn't a Rams culture fit. So we've really uh, – that's just a long story on on how you, yeah, you really probably – I can say this, one of the, going back to being a GM, one of the things uh, I personally have done as a GM over the last, probably especially six years, is really look into our processes and how to, how to de-engineer the natural biases that we have in our processes so that we can gather insightful data along the way. And no matter when we receive that data, right, somehow try to put the proper weight on it without our natural biases. And, and the, the biases, I think it's really wise because biases exist with every one of us. And really the, those, the, those of us that are the most staunch saying we don't have them are usually the most entrenched Yes. yes. And, and remaining objective and neutral and truly um, open to the experience when it happens and seeing it for truly what it is, is it's a difficult thing to do. And like you're saying, especially when, contextual things, either time, energy, effort start to wane, that does start to affect already. And a preconceived notion of someone that you really liked on film, and this is in the recruiting world as well, anything close that resembles that um, to one of us as a coaches or the head coach, yeah, I just wanted to verify that I'm good. And it almost is the expense at the expense of everything else. That's, you know, you're just looking for one hint of evidence that supports your already existing idea. And and that can happen so frequently. And so in an organization and, and with so much time, energy and effort spent, like in the NFL selection, um, yeah, I'm sure it's still not a perfect process. We, it's in, and we could go all day down a rabbit hole or a left or right on this as we've seen college football change. And, and I've often talked with, let's I've often talk with, let's say general managers of, of major league baseball. Well, they actually, can draft an amateur or a collegiate player and you go right to the minor leagues and if and in the minor leagues are going to be some version of selection process so you're yeah. not really getting to the majors unless you pass the minors uh, with, let's go special forces right you're gonna you're gonna go through basic training you're gonna be in the military what have you and then you're gonna go, wait a minute I want to try out to be uh, this particular uh, special force and you either make it or you don't. And there's a selection process. And uh, we have an unbelievable advantage in the NFL is college football is a great minor league. Right. And, and the advantage would be while we can, there's a lot of players that can come right from college football and contribute uh, early in their career. But because the dynamics are changing in college football, where I, in the old days when I when I uh, was playing, right, we always would laugh. It was called, okay, you got recruited 
And then wow, your first day on campus, you're like, are you sure they know who I am? Because I wasn't treated like that. The point we said, we did we got de-recruited pretty quickly. And yeah. at the end of the day, probably naturally, right, had to, as you say, with your, the, the horse, you could get it, is we had to start. They were starting yeah. us. And yes. then at that point, we were going to earn, right, yeah. whether we were we had a chance to help play on Saturdays. But the landscape of college football, the transfer portal and all that, it is very hard now to, let's call it, start a college football player or, if you're really old school, de-recruit because you're constantly, continually <laughs> recruiting your players. And now what we're finding is there's players that definitely have the physical skills to help us on Sundays, but boy, do they lack probably some of the, even though they may have it within them, they, it has not necessarily been developed or trained out of them yet to yeah. right be ready to play instead from just called an intangible maturity professional standpoint. You know, it's going to be really interesting and I'm fascinated just to hear that component. And And I had a chance to, to meet your player development staff when I was there and it was just so fun. I really enjoyed that hour. I was with them and I, my guess, and it is a guess at this point is that each NFL team, that player development component um, is going to end up being uh, there's going to be more work for them. The landscape of college football which now there are more enticements, right? To, to recruit your own roster, to have, to have finances involved to keep your own roster, um, for players to move from one place to another because of finance. Um, and, and really this idea of doing hard things for the sake of doing hard things to help the team or to become um, a more amazing person, there it quickly turns to um, for what reward? And that reward is, is becoming increasingly financial and so it'll be interesting for me over time in this case study to see what, if any, effect uh, is kind of passed on to, to your level um, and the player development component. And quite frankly, maybe the loyalty, integrity, character, um, resilience, and maybe some of the intangibles and, and if, it, if that has an effect. And so I'm, I'm really fascinated to see if that's going to happen and manifest at whatever level. Yeah, that it is. It's evolving and it's evolving fast. And and I, I, I have a picture of the probably your the sign or, or the wall that you had where it was, you know, the less drama and some of your oh, yeah. principles. Yeah. And, and, and I, I would and I'm sure you found out it, it's probably getting a lot harder to actually right truly, truly live by those principles in in college football. And now the neat thing is, Bronco, is I can say that. If someone graduates, let's say if, if if someone played for you and came in, we do weigh that. And and, and let's take Virginia in itself. It's interesting about Virginia. Uh, probably going back to George Welch yeah. through you. And maybe there was some maybe there were some times in between there, but it's interesting based on the type of kid that Virginia has to recruit and yep. probably the rigors of the off field, not necessarily the on field or the footballs. There was always this element that a Virginia kid may not be a five star, but would be a three star, but boy, you could bet on that kid probably yep. make it right. And, and, and a lot of times we can say that within our organizations based on the coach they played for or 
maybe the ecosystem that they came from. Yeah. Now all of that is 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 while wow, there's disruption there. You see what I mean? Even if you yourself right when I do think there will be a win you get back in, there will be an element right where okay you have these principles on the wall and you're gonna have a let's just say a class of 120. Well maybe maybe 35 of those players are gonna leave. But that's okay too, right? As long as you can bring other players in, because you're left with some, definitely some pillars. And and what we yeah. would know is, even though Micah Kaiser was not a, uh, he he probably was a, a, a again he might have been a two star NFL talent, but you know what? He he carved out a probably a good career based on what mom, dad, God gave him based on a lot of the, I call it the intangibles that he was probably born with. And then the ecosystem that he was developed. in. You know, I, I love the idea that families can have ecosystems as well. And, and with Micah specifically, um, there's power in a last name. And in Micah's case, he always used to say his dad would tell him, you know, you're a Kaiser. But that 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 meant something to that family, right? There was a standard to uphold. There were um, yes. behaviors that that meant. There are expectations, and so whether you're a ram, right? When you're a ram, there are expectations, right? That that says and that kind of defines a certain um, level of of attitudes and behaviors. If you're a cavalier, if you're right, if you play at a certain place, um, if the culture is strong, that helps direct, shape, and refine behavior and, and individuals to help them become. Um, now what's happening, and, and I know this is already a world that you live in, um, the finances, and for so many of these families, that's real, right? They, the, the, the money is needed, and I, I won't ever judge anyone regarding those decisions, um, but that's a world that you've lived in. And so how much does, because um, this hasn't been my world, how much does the, the salary cap or the finances, or when you're trying to now put together the stir or think about the financial component how, how does that figure in um, and and what kind of influence does that have on you? The Well, the, the finances in the NFL are very, are very important and, and the salary cap is is very important uh, because you're going to, especially when you make investments. Yeah. And, and when I was say it's a very key component. I'll, I'll, there's nuances to it other than pretty simply that, okay, as Wade Phillips I don't know if you've ever met Wade Phillips, but there is a lot of brilliant common sense in Wade and, and boy, some of the one liners he would have. But he used to always have to say, hey, good player, good football players get paid good money. And at the end of the day, so with that being said, you're going to invest. And in, so if you pay good money to football players, that's going to take up. You only have so much you can spend. So it's like a family yeah. budget. Um, yeah. Uh, we don't have a debt ceiling per se. Maybe you do. You can finagle the the, the salary cap a little bit, but you're going to eventually have to pay pay the rent. Uh, but the important part is number one is oh, if you're going to pay, let's call it your top ten players. Well, they need to be good football players and help you win on Sunday. Now the nuances that get into that is if you do invest in a player, right? Going back to some of the intangible and culture said, well, intangibly, right, are, you know, it, are they still going to be the same person once they have that money, same drive, all of those things. And, and also they better be, uh, they better actually be 
uh, probably an energy giver to the ecosystem yes. because if they're an energy drainer, but you've invested in them and you can't necessarily, or if you do move on from them, they're, they're going to still count to your cap and yeah. you're actually, maybe they could be guaranteed money. So you could be paying cash and cap to a player that you didn't want around. And the other nuance is this is I think it's really important in, in the locker room is, uh, we often say if you pay the wrong person, the locker yes. room knows it. And oh, yeah. And now they they know, yeah. okay, we, I, we understand that. And like, wait a minute, they, you know, the front office, the one they paid it. So there's those team dynamics and dyads that, that definitely come into it from an NFL standpoint. I can know it's interesting, Bronco. You're going to, I'll let you say something that was, I'll go. No, I was just going to say, and wow, uh, those decisions, right? Um, the, the team knows, and what, if if you pay, in, in your words, the wrong player, that credibility that a, a leadership or uh, the leadership team or a coach has, that's fragile, right? You're you're earning that every day, right? So you're building trust over the lifetime of a relationship, but one wrong decision can damage that so quickly, right? And and almost irreparably. And so there's this unique balance of continuing to build credibility through uh, consistent and really strong choices where your team believes in you and individuals believe in you. But to your saying, man, if you pay the wrong person, right, that that team can that dynamic can shift so quickly and credibility can be lost so subtly on one decision. And and wow, is that um, those are the things that kind of keep a coach or a general manager, I think. Um, you're always on because because of the the magnitude and impact of any of those decisions. No, you're you're exactly right. And in, in as you in going back to what we we discussed in the the marriage analogy that those, yeah. the, when when those players when we come to this building this facility and locker room, yeah, I, I don't want to say 365 days a year, but a lot of days of the year and a lot of hours of the day. Yes. Boy, there's something that could even a rectangle and not a yes. square that compounds into a very large rectangle. And, and, and yes. boy, when it starts compounding, it gets to warm Buffett. Well, and, and what if, what if your entire organization, let's say the doorways are built for squares, the hot tub is built for a square, the cold tub is built for a square, the meeting rooms are built for a square and you bring in a rectangle, the friction, right? There's rubbing on those boundaries. <laughs> Yes, twenty four seven. That takes time, energy, and effort to manage, and and uh, when when you make those choices, and I have, I'm always considering: is this worth it? Number one, is this worth it for our organization? But is it worth it for this young person? Right? Are we truly going to be able to help them shape, be shaped, and become into? I don't know the best rectangle they could be, or more squarish than they currently are. Right? And and can the organization do that? And and when you add money to it, maybe I'll put it this way, and I'm anxious to get your thoughts on this. I, I kind of did it my own social study over time uh, in the 17 years that I've been a head coach so far. And I kind of kept track. My favorite thing to do was to finally reward a young person with a scholarship that had worked so hard, right? A, a walk-on player that just, man, they just exemplified everything that I thought was just uh, maybe most beneficial to eventually a family to a, a society, to a workplace. And interestingly enough, uh, in almost every case, um, and I don't have my notes right in front of me, in almost every case, their performance, once a scholarship was awarded, 
diminished rather than increased. And so it's interesting. Here was the striving and stretching and striving and stretching to finally be acknowledged and earn and, and reach this new level. And once it was there, unless another level was immediately put there for them to strive for, there became a settling effect and, and a lessening, which was, which was fascinating to me. And so, man, if, if I awarded a scholarship but didn't immediately have another something for them to be shooting for, right? Uh, um, and I don't have a better word yet than settling. It was just like, wow, th this isn't the same drive and energy that I've seen from this young person up to this point, which I'm, I'm wondering, I don't know, when new contracts are signed or, or uh, maybe, um, yeah, uh, um, if, if you see a similar effect in the professional level with that, because it caught me by surprise, because these were kids that I thought were, they were being rewarded because of the intangibles. <laughs> And interestingly enough, once the reward happened, it actually affected the intangibles, which I would have thought, how could that happen? But I started to see that and try to then present it in a gift of, okay, now that you've hit this, wait till you do this to give them their best chance to perpetuate, right? The same behaviors that had helped them reach that point. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head and that's probably simply put, right? Some, some element of human nature Yes. yes. Uh, that, that, that takes place. And, and we see that a lot in the NFL, the, the interesting thing, the, the interesting thing about the NFL too, is, is there, especially with less guaranteed contracts like baseball and oh. basketball, even though there could be a settling, there is that element of, wait a minute to continue, right. Earning this wage. And also I think the, the, the variable of having shorter careers but we, we see that all the time. I, I, I gave a, a, a really good example. Uh, I think probably haven't necessarily backed it up really yet with analytics, but let's take, we're seeing these, I call it the advent of mobile QBs that can use their oh, legs. Yeah. 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 Affect games in the NFL. Well, a lot of, Hey, wait, when you run the in an NFL, there is an element of stress, drudgery and pain that definitely comes with that. Uh, and what has, what we have noticed is when a QB does, let's call it use his ability to affect the game as a six eligible running the football. When maybe that QB does get paid, runs it less. And then totally. at that end of the day, <clears throat> maybe becomes a little less effective. So that's just one example I, I, that makes complete sense to me. And, and, I, and I see that. And even in the college game, when you have a quarterback that can run and is a dynamic runner, wow, is it a challenge to defend? But also, um, based on your succession planning at that position, when that player goes down, which usually he does at some point, wow, does that affect your team? And then the construct of how you're going to compete without that element. And the immediacy of how the burden then is shifted to the other players and their capabilities having to raise just with a quarterback that can't run all of a sudden you get a really clear sense of what the rest of your roster looks like. Yes. And, and wow, is that a, a, an enlightening experience? It, but the, the human nature, it's uh, one of the better reads and, and I've never met him. You, you're probably closer to meeting him than I would be, but, uh, Phil Jackson, and the reason I say that is I know he he spends time in Montana, if not all the time there. But but based on the grueling schedule of a 
NBA season. And a lot of times the teams he, um, you know, was in, was coaching were teams that were going to go deep, but he would, he, the philosophy he had, which was really out of the box in engineering, actually engineering times during the regular season yes. where, Hey, you're actually allowing human nature. Like, mm-hmm. you know what? It's almost like give these guys a mental break, give the organization. Hey, we're not yeah. even trying. We're actually trying to go to a town and, and let's call it get away. And whatever happens, in the gym that night doesn't really matter. But then all of a sudden you get sloppy, you get rested, rejuvenated, and then all of a sudden there's a drive again and and kind of engineering, okay, these maybe four games are, are going to be our spring break, but we're going to now come back and kind of reel it back in and, and have these yep. next seven regular season games almost be like a series of like, okay, can we win this series? So fascinating how – and it seems counterintuitive, like, wait a minute, you're, you're a coach, you're trying to win every game. But we also know, Bronco, that probably the human organism can't wake up every day and actually, we always say it, win the day. But like, like, you can't get an A every day, or maybe you can, but every day is not writing a, a thesis, right? Yeah, is- and that's, it's such a, a fascinating concept. And I, I would refer to that as oscillation, right? You, you can't stay up here every day the whole time there's up there's design ups and downs or put it this way there are ups and downs but i think the really skilled leader architects yes the ups and downs which are the oscillations and then your timing how long each one of those is when you're at peak when can you ease it back just a little which is dangerous but right with a mature team and through education you can do that and then bring them back and, and there are things along the way that a lot of leaders sometimes get caught up into that are just called vanity metrics where it's by like how much you win or, you know, things that really don't matter that sometimes make us feel good that can derail kind of that oscillation plan um, that are, are, are really challenging. And, and so, yeah, I, I think that there's in the world of exercise physiology, there's this really cool um, acronym called SAID, Specific Adaptation to Imposed Demand. And so most of us, when you put us in a situation, we'll try to adapt to that. Uh, we won't go further, but we'll adapt to that and we'll stay there until something more is asked or less and we'll adapt to that. And so I think the masterful leader, right, uh, orchestrates um, the level to be adapted to at varying points um, and collectively, which, wow, is that tricky? But man, I think to Phil Jackson and to your example, I think that's probably what direction he was headed, knowing that the sustainability of always on usually leans to um, a giant fall or an end sooner than later uh, if compared to if there was oscillation at some point. Yeah, I think in going back to your physiology, biology, but We've seen in sports science, right? We, I mean, we've adapted the let's call it the sports sign of where there's where okay, there's data going oscillation, actually is beneficial. But when it when it comes to psychology, the mental part, it, there's less right. There's yes. less data. We don't have a load metric, so that that's the. I, I it may be thinking you'll probably we'll see if you have the courage to do this, but uh, <laughs> when and if you ever get back into college football, right? I, I, I plan I plan on coming back. So we're I, 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 
I when I was at Auburn, I was not a starter, but I was, you know, let's call it a, probably a third team type tight end. So had a role, things like, but we would always laugh when you would play what you would call in those days, it was a little more defined, less games, but okay. The cupcake game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like, why, why do we start the starters this game? Cause they always play sloppy. They didn't want to be there anyway. Yeah. And I was like, why don't they start all of us who would like probably really <laughs> give it our all. And we yeah. probably blow this FCS team out <laughs> instead of it being a game at half somehow and we're still wanting to play a lot but wait a minute the starters still have to play because the game's too close so i used to again probably it would take a lot of courage to you to sit your ones and twos and play your threes so so one of the fun things in the off seasons that i i enjoyed uh enjoy the most is we we would have these uh these um series of events we called super games and so I'd be the basically your position of the team. I'd be a general manager, but then players on our team became head coaches of their own teams. And they had we had a draft, and it was a big thing. And but they'd be drafting for water polo. Or they'd be drafting um, for a strongman competition, for bowling, basically anything you could compete in. They never knew what the events would be, other than I just told them it would be completely diverse. They needed a well-rounded team, and and so anyway. It was fascinating to see what individuals, as soon as you put out a ball or kept score, who they became. And and others were much more, this is beneath them, or, you know, if not enough people are watching, or if it's not the semis, they're not going to compete. They were more circumstantial on what their motivation was. And, man, did I learn a lot about my team just on um, the authenticity of a competitor. You know, and, and there were some of those kids, once you kept score, it didn't really matter what you're participating in. They they and their team um, or they and the influence on their team would kind of rise. And those are the kids I really wanted playing throughout the course of the season. Even if they weren't the best player, the impact culturally they would have by elevating the others, there's there's something to that, which is so much fun. And then, as, as Sean is probably working on now with your coaches, of the innovation to design schemes to make sure not only your best players, but your best collective of players are out there with the right linchpins holding them together right, to deliver everybody else. And, man, that's where the innovation really becomes fun, I think. No doubt. Your story reminded me when fortunate to get a chance to meet uh, Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great. And uh, long story on how we were introduced, but what was neat is he had hired – I mean, he's got this great think tank, and he hires these young, bright people to almost spend a year with him. But Mm -hmm. he had hired a – young woman that was had played soccer at the University of Florida. So Kara had reached out. This is like my my, you know, basically idol. And she was like, oh, Jim, you ought to you've never really talked to people in sports, whatever. So point being, like yourself, he came and he actually he spent a little bit longer than you, probably probably three days here. But he, he came away going, OK, based on the it's not necessarily the business aspect, based on the game theory aspect of it, of you have the schedule and there's going to be right a winner and a loser that, and you have all the, the people in the building, right? Players, coaches, and everyone supporting them. He was, he, he was like, he was so fast by basically saying, Hey, this is, this might be the most complex and sophisticated human collaboration project. Uh, there it is. And, and, and again, he's he's been a part of a lot of 
right? Let's call it businesses that are just yeah. businessing. But it was the first time he had spent time with sports and he, and he was just fascinating on how, right? How every, I mean, all the variables that, like you said, that go into basically success. And I think the variables are so fascinating to folks, um, maybe from the business or outside world. But then when you see the, um, the transparency and, and how visible the results are, right? That combination of how many moving parts, but then here's this accountability in front of the world to see weekly, not just a quarterly report, right? This is, this is like every week you're seeing how, how this holds together and the, and the drama that unfolds and the interplay either through injury or, or I don't know, maybe a relational component or, or uh, yeah, there might've been a new player added to the team and the dynamic is, well, what, what just happened? It, it's an amazing thing. And so I, I just I just so appreciate you coming on because the the world for our listeners that Les is is living in is one of the most dynamic, fascinating, volatile, rewarding, exhausting. I don't even know what are other adjectives to add, and compelling. I think jobs that there is, and and it was just uh, I just really appreciate you coming on and sharing. It's been awesome. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate I appreciate you having me for sure. It's been I, I would I'll end it on this and and because you you brought that up and. I don't know if you remember or have you seen the, and I'll probably get the, the platform right, but the, there was probably a Netflix series, the F1, where it covered the, so the drivers. Well, yeah. uh, my wife stumbled upon probably one that's now doing PGA tour and also let's call it men's and women's tennis. And so I haven't seen them, but last night I was, and I normally do not like watching sports, but anything is, but watching these young women and young men and, and it's not necessarily you know the the the, the players that traditionally win like Nadal and some of those yeah. but it, it was it was those I mean to see the I would say this the agony of defeat and then just the mental warfare that they had to play with themselves to, to get back for another tournament and, and but you're almost want to go hug them and go like wait a minute yeah. How can you reframe this? Like you, you got to the semifinals as just a 30,000 foot tennis fan who really doesn't follow tennis anymore. I look at you like, okay, you're really good tennis player. And I'm kind of somewhat envious of your life, but to see this young lady, like, let's call it, let's call it be up a set one zero, but then lose two and just kind of, unravel you're just like i was telling care i can't i can't i can't handle i can't lose anymore i feel like her uh but that going back to it the, the what you said the the visibility of yeah. right the result on a on a saturday or sunday in their cases uh some some tennis court somewhere mm -hmm. it, it the how you respond to the highs and the lows over the course of a uh, to make it a career, there's definitely an art to that. Well, there is, and and ultimately, too, the then the interplay between who you are and what you do, right? And what you do is defined by result, and and does that mean, and does that make up who you are? And that constant friction, I think, is what you're defining, which I think we all wrestle with in a world of outcome, um, in the world of sport, and then where are we within that, and how much are we defined by our record? And 
that's that's a, a unique challenge. Yeah, we discuss this a lot. And that's for the next one. Yeah, that's the next one. Yeah. <laughs> been working with Sean a lot on that on, on the telic versus the atelic. Yeah. Right? Can you embrace the process versus just the results? But very hard in this, and I think in anything. But Les, th- thanks so much for being on, Brian. We'll we'll put it over to you just to close us out. Yeah, no, terrific conversation and uh, certainly appreciate uh, the, the time at a, at a busy time of the year for, for you, Les. Uh, I know we could probably uh, revisit this conversation and keep it going. I'd probably go for a couple of hours even uh, given, given the way uh, this has trended. But uh, we do appreciate the time. And uh, thank you so much for joining us here on Head Coach You. Hey, and you know what? I'm going to do this only for y'all's sake. Randomly, our equipment manager had this helmet. Oh, hey. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Wyoming, so it's probably Rob. But point being uh, – when he he was he brought it in for some reason, and and I was like, you know what? In honor of Bronco, there it is with the horse and the starting horses. <laughs> I kept the helmet in the office for no I, other reason. It. There's a symbol that means a lot more than just the Wyoming. Mm. Uh, let's call it mascot decal tattoo. Yeah. I've been in that exact same position as that cowboy on that horse. Just so you know, I've been I've been in that deal with my hand down and leaning back and the horse going. Yeah, it's a that's a great feeling. It, and this one, it looks like right. It look I can't say it looks like the cowboy's winning because he is. <laughs> he's got his hat. It's almost like that's a yeah. fifteen yard penalty in the rodeo, right? When you <laughs> you taunt the horse that hey, I rode you for eight seconds and you know I can tip the cap. That that's you're you're right. Once the hat comes off and it's in your hand, you're feeling pretty good about how things are going. <laughs> so, well, I, I might have to text uh, Craig Wool and, and and tell him that uh, you, you might be going up there for 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 Wyoming's pro day just to, to get a look of that helmet up close in person, and hang out with Bronco there. But uh, Les, we appreciate the time, like we said, and uh, we'll, we'll have to have this conversation uh, maybe after the summer, maybe sometime during the summer, where uh, you, you can recap a little bit of uh, the draft class, the free agency class, everything that's going on there with the Rams. But uh, con- congratulations on the, on the season wrapping up, and uh, best of luck moving forward. Thanks, Thank Les. you very much. Thank you all. All right. Well, that is Les Need, uh, the uh, GM of the Rams, and uh, we will be right back next week for another edition of Head Coach You.